Okay, can I um, ask you to bring your conversations to a close? Just going to introduce Ian. It is fantastic to have Ian with us. Most of you will know Ian. Ian's on staff with us here at the church and uh, leads our site down on Ashley Road at 502. Just going to pray for Ian and uh, pray that we'll understand his Scottish accent this morning. <laughs> and then Ian's going to preach a storm. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for how you've revealed yourself to us through scripture. And Lord, we, uh, we just are incredibly grateful and privileged this morning to sit under teaching that is biblical. And Lord, we pray that as Ian comes and speaks the truth of your word to us, that our hearts be changed and warmed and oriented and turned towards you, that Holy Spirit, you'd help us this morning to glorify the Son. Pray for effective preaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you, Rich. Well, the, the news we've heard this morning is obviously desperately sad about our friend Matt. Uh, but as a church family, we do respond very differently to death than the rest of the world. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a Bible passage that actually deals with this very thing. Uh, it helps us to see that there is still hope in the face of the most uh, desperate of situations, including death. And so my prayer is that this morning, this passage will be extraordinarily helpful for us in dealing with a very tragic event. I was, um, I was reading this week about uh, another young man. This young man wasn't from Poole or Bournemouth. He was uh, from the Middle East. He was a very successful guy. Uh, he was creative. People loved him. He was extremely popular. He was doing very well in his job. In fact, he was doing so well that he'd been earmarked to take over from his boss, who just happened to be one of the richest and most powerful people in the whole region. But when politics changed, things took a very sudden turn for him. He went from hero to zero in a moment. He uh, suddenly was being chased out of town. He was run down by armed men. Armed men were contracted to go and get him and to bring him back to the city, dead or alive. And so he runs, and the only person that would help him as he was running uh, was this one man who gave him some bread, a little bit of bread, and a weapon to protect himself. And then he, he ran, and he ran out into the desert. Now, if you've ever been in the desert, you will know that surviving on the desert on your own is not easy. Um, you don't even need to have been there. Watched Bear Grylls, you know it's difficult to survive in the desert on your own. At night, the, the temperatures plunge, and then during the day, they soar. And there's very little food, and there's very little water. And while you're being pursued by armed men, that makes it even more difficult. And so he tries to go and seek refuge in uh, a couple of towns, but... They, they won't accept him. They won't let him in. They don't want anything to do with it. They're, they're scared of this powerful uh, boss of his. And so he has to just go from cave to cave because it's the only places that he can find any refuge. In the hills above the desert, there are literally dogs trying to sniff him out. And he says, death is just a matter of time. It's imminent. But in this place, in that place, he remained hopeful. He still used his creativity 
to say, God, I love you. I love you, Lord. He sang about God's grace and rest, even when he thought death was a moment away. Even in the most difficult of places, there is somewhere we can go in order to say, still, I love you, Lord. Now, I'm sure some of you have figured out who that is. I was reading this week in 1 Samuel about David. Now, if you have been doing uh, the community Bible readings with us, uh, CBR, you will have read yesterday those words, I love you, Lord. And that is in Psalm 116. Now, you may not have a clue what I'm on about. So CBR, Community Bible Reading, it is simply an opportunity to get together with some other people and to read the Bible together. And then we send little messages to each other to say what's impacted us each day. Simple as that. Uh, and it's been brilliant. It's been really helpful for loads of us. So if you do want to get involved with that, chat to someone at the end. Uh, one of the leadership will help you to, to get involved in one of those groups. But... Over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take those psalms that we're taking on, doing on Saturdays, and we are going to start a new preaching series called Community Psalms, okay? So this is the first one, Psalm 116. Now, Psalm 116 is most likely what I described, David's reflections of being chased out of Jerusalem by King Saul, who had become jealous of him. But it could just as easily have been another desperately sad moment in his life. We also read about David lying next to his dying son all the way through the night. We also read about David's uh, plight when he uh, gets himself into really hot water with a series of lies and deception that sees him uh, actually end up murdering someone. It, it could well have been the guilt and the difficulty of that moment. It could be many moments in David's life, and, and, and actually it could describe moments in which you are in right now. It could describe a moment that you've had in the past where you're just overcome with anguish. You're overcome with difficulty and suffering. And so the, this morning, I want to ask just one simple question to all of us. In the midst of our darkest moments, when we're in the deepest of caves, what possible reason do we have to still cry out, I love you, Lord? Let's read Psalm 116 together. It's page 616 in the Bibles in front of you. So do grab one of those. Psalm 116, it says this, I love the Lord. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted in my alarm. I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Father God, thank you that we have words like this that help us understand that life is tough and life throws things at us that are really desperate and difficult. But it also helps us understand that there is a refuge, there is a place to run, there is a place where there is compassion, there is a place where we can find grace and mercy. There is a place where death can be overcome. So Father God, will you come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and would you comfort us? Would you speak with us? Would we be so much more aware of your presence than as if this were just a talk? Because God, you speak to us through your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why should I keep singing? Why should I keep returning to God when my circumstances are so dire? When the pain comes back, when the moods stay low, why should I say, I love you, Lord? When young people are taken away from us so suddenly, why should we say, I love you, Lord? What reason do you give me, Lord? I think the longest two minutes of my life were right here. Uh, it was New Year's Eve, and we had a Thanksgiving service for everything that God had done in the year before. So we had lots of testimony. It was a really good time together. At the end, I was over here somewhere, I think, sipping on my coffee, having a chat with someone. I have no idea to this day who I was talking to. So if that's you, I'm actually, I'm really sorry. Because what happened next was I just totally ignored you and ran across the room. But I heard this cry from the other side of the room and it was, Ian, come quickly. And there was like real alarm in that call. So immediately I'm, I'm running across thinking the worst. And so I run across and I find that Lindsay is there with my daughter Annabelle in her arms and she's limp and she's fitting, and um, she starts to go blue around her mouth, and she starts foaming a little bit in the mouth as well. And so I have no idea what's going on. Okay, so let me just kind of put in a little bit of a, a spoiler here, okay? Um, this was what, what is called a febrile convulsion. Many of you will have heard of it, and actually they're very common. So there's probably lots of people in this room who have had a febrile convulsion themselves, um, probably when you were a kid, and then actually you grew out of it and, and never had one again. And so they, they actually are quite common and usually don't end up in much harm, with much harm to the child. But I didn't know that at the time. 
So at the time, I'm just looking at her going, you're not breathing. You're going blue around your lips. Surely, if you don't breathe really soon, this is it. That's it. Just like that. It sounds melodramatic to say that now. But actually, that's how I felt. And I felt totally and utterly helpless. All I had was, Lord, please help. That's all I had. I had no other words. Lord, please help. And comfortingly, that is all that David seemed to have. Cries for mercy. David has no pretense before God here. Faith is not pretending that something is not happening to you. Being in denial of our difficulties, that does not display faith in God. In fact, it actually shows that we have a a lack of vision for who God is. The Christian life is not to pretend that everything uh, that is uh, in our lives is shiny and sparkly. Because it's just not true. And actually, our God is way bigger than that. Our God deals with us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of difficulty. Even in the darkest of moments, David says this, I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. The first thing we need to do is to be honest with God. How honest is David here? He is totally and utterly honest about the situation. He's not pretending. God knows everything anyway. So we must be honest with how we're feeling. We must be honest with God, honest with ourselves, honest with the people in which we're walking this journey with. Fast forward 1,000 years, and a descendant of David is sitting with his disciples having a Passover celebration, a Passover meal And they they probably sing this psalm, Psalm 116, because it's part of these uh, psalms called the Egyptian Hallel. Egyptian because it reminded the people of the Passover. It reminded them that that their descendants were enslaved in Egypt. God freed them from slavery. And even as they were running and fleeing from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies and the chariots are thundering behind them and the Red Sea is before them and they're squashed, they're trapped, they're surely death is going to come upon them. God saved them. And so they celebrate this. And so from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, you have the Egyptian Hallel. And so that's the Egyptian part, but the Hallel part literally just means praise, worship. And so they're worshiping God because God saved their people, saved them. They remembered what God had done, that he had parted the Red Sea, and that they had walked through, and eventually, after another generation, to the Promised Land. The Passover, this great exodus of God's people, it's not just about uh, Israel being saved from the hands of the Egyptians. And it's actually not just about David's particular situation here either. It's also about the human condition, which needs its own Passover. It's about the reality of who we are, sinners. We have all been enslaved to sin. And as a result, death 
looms over us. Not because we will die because of any particular thing we've done, but because the whole world is corrupt and is messed up because of this sin that taints all of humanity. It's an inescapable reality for all of us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin's implication for all of us is death. Death bound the Hebrews in the desert, trapped between this unstoppable army and in an uncomparable sea, unconquerable sea. Death tied David down, hiding in a dark cave. Saul's dogs and mighty men sniffed him out. And as we've been all too shockingly reminded of this morning, death traps us. And one day, every single one of us will be helpless before death. Later in the night, well after Jesus and the disciples had finished their Passover meal, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane experiencing the anguish of the whole world, the entangling of death, the betrayal of all humanity. In those moments, he took on David's sufferings. In those moments, he took on our sufferings. Jesus is arrested. God himself is willingly chained, bound to death. Death surrounds him. It's inevitable. God himself gets ready to die in our place. Psalm 22, David has a prophetic vision of that scene a thousand years before it takes place. He says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And then it ends with these glorious words. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. Jesus died the death that David deserved. Jesus died the death that we deserved. God has removed the death that so entangles us and he gives us rest. He frees us from the inevitability of the punishment that we deserve. How? By taking it on himself. God himself takes on our sufferings. He receives the punishment we deserve for our sin and he overcomes death. That's the God we love and the God we serve. That's the God we come to in our sufferings. David trusted in God's sure promise of a Passover to the whole world, an exodus to the whole world, a a releasing from the enslavement of sin and death. And in our darkest moments now, we can say, God is gracious. He's merciful. He's a deliverer of my soul from death, from my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
In Jesus' darkest hour, his love is most clearly displayed to us. In our darkest moments, who do we think of? We think of ourselves. In Jesus' darkest moment, who did he think of? He thought of you. He thought of me. He thought of David. He thought of the people that he loves. He thought about doing his Father's will. This incomparable plan of love for the whole world. This is the glory of the Easter message, that death is beaten, that Jesus is alive, that all who put their trust in Jesus will rise to new life. Oh, death, where is your sting? Matt Gilbert is with Jesus. That is remarkable that we can say that this morning. And we can say it with confidence. And that is why right in the middle of this psalm, David can say, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. In the darkest moments, we can say, I love you, Lord, because Jesus has gone before us and he has won us eternal life. (laughs) Such love. Such love. How can we possibly respond to this love? Well, that's what David asks in verse 12. He says, how can we repay God for all his goodness? How can we possibly repay him? In our early 20s, Lindsay and I uh, went to a a summer festival with some of our friends. And um, I remember going into a meeting with Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew, if you know who he is, he wrote a book called God's Smuggler, which is all about his life, autobiography, uh, and the way in which God used him to smuggle Bibles into the USSR and then Actually, subsequently, he was also meeting underground Christians in Arabic countries in very dangerous situations. And God just did incredible things through this man who just simply had faith to do what God was calling him to do. And so I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, oh, this is incredible. I want this. I want to have faith like that. I want to give my all for Jesus. And I remember being so impacted that Jesus saved me. I was hugely impacted by that. And and I remember leaving that place and thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it my all now. If Jesus gave his life for me, then the least I can do is give my life for him, that I could serve him with my whole life. I'm going to be unstoppable. I'm going to go home and I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. And for about two weeks... I told everyone about Jesus and I read loads of the Bible and I prayed loads. But at the end of that two weeks, I got a cold. And that cold made me just feel a bit down, a bit man flu, a bit sniffly. And so I prayed a little bit less, told a few less people about Jesus. And, um, and then actually, I, I, I sinned. I, I sinned because I... I, I did this sin that I promised after that conference I would never do again. And, and I did this sin and I thought, oh, it's over for me. I'm a failure. It'll always be like this for me. I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to mess up. What's the point in trying? I'm done. I, I, I can't do this. But the truth is, it wasn't my little cold or even my sin that let me down. It was the source of my motivation. 
I wanted to give my everything to Jesus as a kind of payback for everything that he's done for me. But that's not where Psalm 116 encourages us to go for motivation. He says, David says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. David says, respond to God's grace, not by trying to pay God back, but by receiving more grace. What? That's outrageous. That's, that's silly, Ian. Don't, don't be so stupid. Someone's done something for you that's incredible that you can't even begin to understand how incredible it is. Surely you should try and do something at least partially incredible, incredible for you at least, in response. No. Lift up your cup and receive more. We mustn't fall into the performance trap thinking that we owe God and need to work really hard to prove to God that, that somehow we deserve what we've been saved from, our salvation. It, it, it's like we, we think that the moment we're saved, we suddenly just have to, now at that moment, make it all happen ourselves. But that's not what the Bible says we should do. It says keep going back to God. Keep going back to his salvation. Keep going back to his power, his strength, his grace. Our performance is never unstoppable. But God's grace has no limits. The cup is always full. If you put your faith in, in Jesus 50 years ago or in the last few minutes, you can drink, drink of the cup of salvation today. We are all called to obedience in Jesus, called to be more like Jesus. But if we rely on our own performance and not on what Jesus has already done for us, then we will find ourselves swinging from, just like I did after that conference, swinging from real excitement to total despair because it's about us and our performance. And we have to be humble enough to recognize that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. We must take our eyes off our own performance and shift them to all that he has done. The motivation that lasts is found in the cup. It's found at the cross of Jesus. And now we are servants and slaves to God, David says. Whoa, hold on, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like what we just said. Did, did you not just say, Ian, that uh, we are supposed to, we are now released from slavery? Well, yes, but actually we all want approval. We're, we're actually made to want approval. But the only approval that will set us free is from God. And the only way that that can come is through Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. The point here is that we are to be enslaved to righteousness by God's righteousness that we know is in Jesus. Not that we have to be enslaved again to something that will bind us and keep us from freedom. Because the righteousness of God is, is given to us, we can find freedom and enslavement to him. 
the most freeing place in the world is to be a slave of Christ. If you were to find yourself enslaved to anyone else, you would find it totally and utterly intolerable. But to be bound to God and His righteousness, that's glorious. And it leads us to new life and freedom. But how do we actually do this? Practically speaking, what does this actually look like? What does it look like to keep going back to the cup of salvation and enjoying Jesus' righteousness? David shows us that it begins in prayer. Cry out to God in all circumstances. And then from verse 17, we see that he is not doing this alone. David doesn't do it alone. In the temple, they sing together and take vows together. So the first thing is prayer. David's whole response, it begins in prayer. Now, the hardest thing about prayer, especially in tough times, is that to do it, we need to stop performing. We need to be okay with maybe the the house being a little bit messier than it would have been otherwise. We need to be okay with prioritizing it over something that we feel may make us look a bit better to the people around us. Prayer, private prayer, prayer when we, when we go to God on our own, unless you know him, may seem to have no benefit at all. But because we know him and because we know who he is, it has more benefit than anything else on the planet. We not, sometimes we'll need to put down our work laptops and our phones in order to go and pray. We may need to get up a little bit earlier. We will definitely need to see prayer as a priority. The Power of Habit was a, a top-selling book by a guy called Charles Duhigg. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. You can correct me later. And he claimed that people can only usually change their habits if they focus on one particular habit that he calls a keystone habit. If you focus on that one habit, the rest will follow. And for Christians, the keystone habit is prayer. If we regularly make time to go to God in prayer, we will then constantly be humbling ourselves before God. We'll have no choice but when we go to prayer to humble ourselves before God. It takes us back to the cup of salvation. It reminds us of who we are in Christ. And so from there, we can start to see a flow of obedience because we're going to the cup of salvation. It's overflowing as we pray. The second thing that we see David saying we should go and do is to go and sing. As a life group, we've been singing together uh, on a weekly basis. Now, we don't have um, bands in our life groups at the moment. They've got their own life groups going on. And so some of the worship can be a little bit interesting, let's see. Um, sometimes we even sing different lines from one another. But we're singing, and we're singing together. And uh, we're, we're certainly not going to sell uh, Grammy, any Grammy, Grammy awards, what am I trying to say? Any best-selling albums that win Grammy Awards, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but what we are doing is we're getting together and we're doing something that, spiritually speaking, is actually very powerful. 
You may have noticed that uh, we don't tend to sing many songs here that fail to remind us of our salvation in Christ. Now, John and his team are very deliberate about that, and that is because of this very truth, that we should be constantly coming back to the cup of salvation, that our whole lives should flow out of the gospel. Gospel declarations. When we get together and we sing, we proclaim to one another and to God that we trust in Jesus with our lives. It's great to sing at home, isn't it? It's great to sing in your car. I love a little bit of cheeky worship in the car. Do you like that? To blast it right up when you're on your own and you belt some songs out to Jesus. But, you know, as great as that is, it's nothing compared to coming together and declaring to one another the glorious truths of Jesus. Even when we don't sound so great, the spiritual reality of what we're actually doing is, is, is like a stunning choral arrangement to God. He loves it. He loves it when we sing his praise together. The other thing David says to do, we might want to skip over in our culture. We want sometimes to avoid commitment, don't we? But actually, David encourages people here to make vows together. Make vows together as the people of God. The people of God are people who make commitments to God with one another, not as individuals. That's why we encourage membership here, because we want to make commitments to one another that we're in this together. It's why we believe that in an increasingly individualistic culture, we mustn't fall into the trap of trying to work life out on our own. Instead, let's encourage one another back to the cup again and again and again. Now, we celebrate Easter once a year. And today on Palm Sunday, we worship Jesus who rode in to Jerusalem with palm branches laid down before him, sat on his colt, riding into Jerusalem as king. Now, the people at the time didn't seem to quite get it. But we've seen the fuller story. We've seen that actually in Jesus' death and resurrection, there is much greater victory. There is this Passover that we've been speaking about for all humanity that is way better than the overthrowing of Rome in Jerusalem. And actually, it's, it's vital that we get together at Easter to celebrate that Jesus, on the, on the Friday, died in our place. So that this Friday, 11 a.m., that's what we're going to do right here. And then on Sunday, same times as normal, we're going to get together and we're going to just celebrate the resurrection. That death was overcome. That Jesus has won. That we need not fear death anymore. But actually, we get together every Sunday because every single Sunday represents Resurrection Sunday. So although we celebrate Easter Sunday once a year, really every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday because of the new life in which we've been given as Christians. We are constantly to celebrate this incredible new life that we have again and again and again. And so actually what we're doing when we come back every Sunday is we're staying committed to the vows that we've made to one another, that we're going to do this together. 
When we go to life groups, that's what we're doing. We're going to do this together. We're not consumers coming just because it suits us. We're coming because we want to do this together. We're making vows to one another before God. And the other thing that's probably quite obvious to you already is that to go back to the cup of salvation has incredible symbolism about what we do almost every week, which is communion. Jesus is the ultimate Passover, and that's why he asked us to remember him by taking communion together often. We no longer celebrate Passover because at Easter, Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, the, the bloody sacrifice, and he died for our sins so we could be set free from slavery, not just from Egypt, but from sin and death. When we take a cup of communion, it acts as a symbolic cup of that cup of salvation. The wine, a symbol of his blood. The bread, a symbol of his body. It's a celebration of our salvation. It's a celebration that we now have new life in Jesus. We can trust that Jesus saves. How do we respond then to God's incredible love? We don't burden ourselves in an attempt to perform before God. Instead, we keep drinking from the cup of salvation. Continually, let's come back to the cup of salvation and let's do it together. We respond with lives of worship together. Not in an individual pursuit, but as a whole church family together, celebrating all that God's done for us. So how can we look back in our darkest and most helpless moments and say, still, I love you, Lord. Well, we turn to salvation. We turn to God in prayer. We be honest with our situations. We enjoy his grace, and then we continually go back. Cup of salvation, cup of salvation, cup of salvation. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. We're going to sing together, and we're going to take communion together. And so when we do these things, I want us to remember that in the darkest of moments. Jesus has been there for us. And he has won the victory over death. He has won the victory over those moments that we just think are intolerable. They now become tolerable because Jesus went there before us. Jesus has set us free. So as the band comes back up, let me pray. And why don't we stand together and thank Jesus for all that he has done. Father God, thank you for Easter, for that time where we get together and we, we celebrate that Jesus, you are the ultimate Passover. That death has been defeated. That Jesus, you're now alive in us. And that Lord, that means that Matt and every single one of us who will follow him will not die and and that be the end of it. But forever, we will be with you. Forever, 
We are your possession. We are your slaves. And Lord, that is beautiful and good and freeing and true. And so Lord, help us now as we sing worship to you, as we take communion together, to be reminded that you have overcome. Whatever's going on in our lives, you have overcome. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.